Have you entered our giveaway with Looking Glass Gems? Visit our Instagram at the Pacey Tapes to enter now. Looking Glass Gems, beautiful, affordable crystal rhinestones. Shop LookingGlassGems.com or visit them live and in person at BurleyCon. This episode was brought to you by the support from listeners like you. Special thanks to superfan BFF level supporters Kyle H., The Man with the Hat, and Violet Passion. To support this podcast, join the Pacey Tapes fan club. Visit thepaceytapes.com to join now. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you for listening to The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live today from my closet in Chicago. I'm so glad to be back in this closet in my apartment in Chicago. I am so happy to be home. I've had such an exciting September. I am so, 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 so grateful for all of the adventures that have happened in the past month. It has been wild and fun And I feel like I've grown a lot as a human and as a performer. So thank you for all of that. Thanks for taking me on that ride. Thanks for putting me on that ride. All of that. I've been apart from Aria de la Noche for like two weeks now, and I really fucking miss her. That's like wild. I mean, it's not wild that I miss her. She's fucking great. But you know, I spent a whole week with her in Nashville, her and chandeliers. I really, really miss them. I think it's really wonderful when you find someone that you can travel with and it works and it makes everything so much easier. So I'm really, really looking forward to Aria and I both being home in Chicago at the same time. And then we're going to have our mega babe reunion with my idol, my mom, the love of my life, chandeliers at BurleyCon, where we're going to have a really hot babe kind of room. It's going to be great. I had a lot of time to think about this podcast and get a lot of feedback on the podcast uh, while I've been out and about and playing on my phone for a thousand hours. And I think like what's going to be the best for me as the producer, editor, voice, interviewer, all that stuff, I think we're going to move to like a four, five weeks on, one week off kind of schedule. I don't know. We're mapping it out. By we, I mean I'm mapping it out. I'm just trying to figure my life out. That's what I'm trying to do today. But here we are. Here you are. Thank you so much for listening to The Pasty Tapes. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. My guest is someone I absolutely adore. They are one of my dear friends from Nashville. I have known her for like four or five years now. I got to know her when I first started going to Delinquent Debutantes, and then we definitely reconnected a few years down the line once I was living in Chicago. She is such an incredible cheerleader to me. We spend a lot of time talking about career stuff, like very muggle-based stuff. I adore her. I adore her husband. I adore the conversations we have around work and muggle life and marketing and all of this stuff. She is incredibly wise and super talented and so, 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 so fun. I really adore her. I think you're going to adore her too. This is my conversation with Nashville's own, the Shakespeare of Shaken It, Viola Vainglory. Hi. Oh my God. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hey, how are you, Shomai? I'm good. I am good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be on Pasty Tapes. Thank you for being on here. Oh, 
You've been such a good supporter. I'm so grateful that you're chatting with me on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. It's beautiful here too. How nice. Let's chat about your burlesque origin story. I know earlier this week I was telling you that I was going to go see a musical and I was asking you like really dumb questions like, what do I wear? Like, what is this? Like, am I allowed to clap and laugh or like what? Yes, they're going to need that. Okay, good. (laughs) You told me that you have like a background in theater and all of that stuff. Can you tell me about your burlesque origin story or me? Like, give me that background. Tell me about your life. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went to college. I have a degree in journalism, mass comm, but I also have a degree in theater. And I made the decision when I was about 21. I was like, I I probably should have looked at costuming as a career, but I looked at acting and I don't have an ingenue face. And I was too young to really be doing interesting character work. And I was like, I don't think I want to get rejected professionally for a living. So um, I had been doing community theater for years. Um, and so I'm very comfortable on stage, but I never danced. So when my husband and I started dating, he was big into swing dancing. And so we started doing some of that. And um, kind of as I realized that he was the one that we were going to get married, I realized that I had also done a lot of divorcing my mind from my body. Um, I am one of those people who was always single. Like I, you know, my sister is a serial monogamist and I am the opposite of that. Uh, And so I realized that I had really kind of disconnected Um, my mind and my body, you know, when you work in an office, you're just thinking about stuff all day and you're not really doing stuff all day. So I decided that, um, I wanted to take a burlesque class. I was actually getting my oil changed. Saw an article about Freya West and delinquent debutantes in a now defunct magazine called Her Nashville. And, um, oddly enough, sort of circuitously knew Freya's older brother and, had gotten kind of like the sort of like, this is, this is a cool thing that she's doing. It's a little weird, but it's neat. So I went out and um, took my first burlesque class with Blinkwit Debutantes back in 2010. Um, And that's where I met Freya. Obviously I also met Chandeliers um, and Shan and I graduated together from Delinquent Debutantes in 2011. And I'm actually oddly enough recording in the building right now where the studio was when I was taking classes, if you can believe that. Um, because the world is a tiny, tiny little bubble. But yeah, so I started performing back in 2011. And really, I only thought that I would be performing for tops a year. And it's been eight. And I still love it. It's just um, being able to really connect back into my body has been so useful to me. And I think that the community as a whole has really taught me a lot of stuff about, honestly, just the basics of feminism and, you know, cultural diversity in a way that you don't get exposed to it in other artistic communities. Um, And so it's just been a really, it's been an interesting ride. You know, I, I started performing, like I said, back in 2011, I did my first show. I did a nerdlesque act and that kind of set the die for, I think a lot of my career, I have done a lot of nerdlesque over the years and a lot of weird, silly burlesque. We love, we love dumb shit here in Nashville. And so I've got a lot of that. Tell me about, like your nerdy side, like where have you always been a nerd? You know, what, what's your fandom? Like, Oh, my fandom is everywhere. I love everything. Um, no, I, uh, so I always refer to myself as an art school kid. I've always been into the weird shit, um, ever since I was young. And when I was in middle school and high school, I actually took an after school class to learn how to draw comic books. 
And uh, it was taught by a really great man um, who had a little comic shop in my hometown that um, unfortunately is now a cash advance store, which really just pisses me off every time I see it. I spent about seven years um, at least twice a week going after school um, with this small community of mostly female artists um, learning how to draw comics and reading. um, You know, I read some of the big stuff. I read some Marvel and some DC back in the day, but I read a lot of independent comics. And I think it just really kind of, I had always been... I was always a smart kid. I, that was just kind of my background. And I think being in that kind of setting, it was, it was kind of like coming home. And I've always felt more at home in, I don't know, sort of outside our communities, which is strange. Um, you know, I always talk about how I'm the Marilyn Munster of my fair, my friend group. I'm, I'm never terribly like wild and out there looking in my opinion, but I, I'm always with people who are on the fringes because I feel like I get that more than I get sort of the middle of the road. So um, anyway, yeah, I I started out um, spending significant amounts of time in comic books and and, um, reading a lot of comic books, watching a lot of nerdy movies. And uh, I was also starting to get into costuming around that same time. So kind of like the perfect amalgam of all of those things. And it just carried me through. You know, I I was always into sci-fi. I was always into comic books, uh, anime a little bit. I shouldn't really claim anime. But um, yeah, I've I've always kind of done that stuff. And then the first act that I ever got paid to do, and this is really embarrassing, was a True Blood act. (laughs) Whoa. Unexpected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I kind of love that I'm attached to True Blood, though, because I love, like, campy horror and all of that, like, really ridiculous supernatural stuff. So even though I don't have a deep love for where True Blood ended, I did love where True Blood started. Do you, Okay, you do you do have a love of campy, right? Every time I've seen you perform, oh, or yeah. else, like, there's definitely an element of play in there, for sure, right? You make it really fun. I remember seeing – the first time I actually saw you perform, because I've known you for years. Years, but I didn't see you perform until last year at the National Burlesque Festival. That's so funny. You, isn't that weird? Like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it makes sense based yeah. on like when you moved, but it is that's it's strange to me. Right, right. Because like you at that point, you had seen me perform like yeah, several times. two or three times <laughs> at that point. The first act that I saw you do was your Ash from Evil Dead act, and. What I know you as, at least like from the internet and from, you know, BurlyCon and stuff is like you're, you know, super, I think you're super pretty. And like my assumption was like, of course, Whale is going to do like a classic (laughs) or something like that. And you did your Ash from Evil Dead act, which I think is great. And the set dressing is great. And I really hope that whoever's listening um, takes the time to at least check out the pictures on your website or find it online. But I remember coming up to you and your husband after the show and being like, oh, my God, that was so unexpected. And they were like... Why you 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 and your husband? This is my shit on the regular. (laughs) But I remember just being like, I'm so surprised, and it was kind of a reaction of like, wait, do you not know what Evil Dead is, or like, do you not know who I am? And then I remember just being like, "Ah." that's amazing. Nerdlesk is having a big moment right now. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really interesting the um, the sort of rise of Nerdlesk. I think that it's. When I started performing in 2011, Nerdlesque was definitely a thing that was happening, but I don't remember there being Nerdlesque festivals. And now there are like multiple festivals that are entirely devoted to Nerdlesque. And I just think it's so interesting. And I, 
I don't know. I do a lot of cosplay in my personal life. Um, some of it connected to burlesque, but a lot of it isn't. Uh, you know, and I think it's been really interesting to me to watch the sort of rise of cosplay and conventions and nerd culture. One of my like first really successful nerdlesque acts was Captain America, which came out in 2011, which is also when I started doing burlesque. But um, you know, that sort of like the Marvel MCU invading pop culture. I, I don't want to like make too big of a deal about it, but I think that that is a big part of, of what's kind of mainstreamed nerd culture, quote unquote. And I think that that is spilling over into burlesque um, in a way that, you know, people, it makes some people who are old school nerds uncomfortable, I think, you know, like if you're like me and you grew up watching Star Trek and listening to Monty Python and, you know, feeling like the outcast, I think that that makes some people uncomfortable. That people who like, you know, like sports or whatever are suddenly also into superheroes. You're like, but those are not, those don't go together. But I, I love that they do now. I love that that's something that we're kind of all starting to share. And there's, I don't know, there's weird stuff too with like, you know, the rise of superhero culture and what does that mean for us as, um, in Western culture, what does it mean that we love superheroes so much? Why do we love these characters that have these sort of godlike abilities um, who are dealing Why with... Why do you love them? Oh, well, Captain America is probably my my favorite bean for that. And I think that I, I like... I mean, archetypes... We're drawn to archetypes, right? Like, we're drawn to the, the idea of these sort of pure forms of character. And I think that... What I love about Captain America in particular is that Captain America is such, he's such a good, good boy. And I think he finds ways to be good in a challenging world. And he doesn't always get it right, um, but he's always trying to. And I, I think there's something really beautiful in that. I think a lot of times we love an anti-hero. I mean, I, I love Loki, too. Um, but I, I think that idea of looking for good in the world and believing that we're capable of it is something I believe in very deeply. And so that's what appeals to me. I think about a lot of superheroes is that idea of there's something worth preserving and there's something worth fighting for. Um, so I don't know. I think that there is like, there is that idea of those very pure types of personalities. Like, I don't know. It's almost like we see what we could be in those characters. And I love that idea of kind of uncovering that. Right. And having yeah. it all come through in pop culture. Yeah. And I think it's an easier lens, right? Like it's an easier lens for us to swallow some of those things. Talk to me about the more classic stuff you do. Cause you also have classic stuff. Like you're not just a nerdlesque performer. I think like you, you have a solid range and you know, the through line in all of it is fun totally. and camp. And yeah, well, I mean, I think yeah. for me, I mean, so my background, like I said, uh, I have a degree in theater and I did a lot of costuming work in theater. I've been sewing since I was like 16 years old, which means that I've been sewing for two decades. Um, and I have just always loved being able to build these wild over the top costumes and burlesque allows me to do that in a way even theater didn't allow me to do it. Um, I remember I did costumes for Hello Dolly like 10 years ago, and I was so excited because I got to make all these ridiculous hats, and it was the best fucking time. I was like, I'm gluing a bird on this shit. This is like five years before Portlandia even came out. It was amazing. Ahead of the curve. Oh, man. Was I ever. Ahead of the bird. Oh, I love it. 
Um, but yeah, so I uh, I do love the sort of glamour of classic burlesque. I love, you know, there's so few opportunities in muggle life to wear a fully beaded gown. And I love that, that burlesque gives us the opportunity to do that, to go out there and become this sort of glamour monster. You know, it's it's so over the top and wild and it's just dazzling. And I love that spectacle. I think that's something that's really always attracted me about theater in general, and burlesque in particular, is that idea that you can do something that is so big that it just envelops the entire space. Um, and so I think that's kind of the thing. And I think overall, you know, I don't know, just the idea of being able to put that on, like to put on that skin of being this total glamorous, perfect creature that, you know, doesn't have bodily functions. Who knows? Um, it's, there's something really appealing about it to me, um, to kind of be able to put that on and then know that afterwards you're going to be like, oh my God, I just like sweated through my underwear in a way that is truly unladylike. Um, I just think it's, I think it's delightful. Um, and I love that, that you get the opportunity to really just like put on whatever persona you want. I think in terms of like the camp side of it, you know, I'm just such an enthusiast. Like I just, I love the things that I love. And burlesque is one of the things that I love. And so I think that for me, like, I do have a couple of slow burn acts where I'm, I'm sultry and, and I, I hope appear powerful on stage. But for the most part, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so fun. Aren't we having the best time? Have the best time with me. This is the best. I don't know. I just feel like you get to show you get to show people a bit of who you are when you're on stage um, doing burlesque, whether that's some big, like, the big main part of who you are or some like deep dark corner that you didn't even know you wanted people to know that you had. But I just love that you're revealing a bit of yourself to the audience um, by revealing yourself to the audience, literally. Full circle. Like, have you always been kind of an arty child? Like, how did you end up finding, you know, finding this craft? Yeah, I was always, um, I was always an artistic kid. I think that my um, my dad is a musician and kind of took that to another level. My dad is uh, a woodworker and a luthier by trade. So he What's um, a not only a luthier is someone who builds instruments. So uh, he built when I was four years old. He built the harpsichord for the symphony orchestra in my hometown. And um, it was the second or third time he had built a harpsichord. And then he took up building guitars when I was in my teens. Um, and he still does that today. So I think, um, you know, he's a contractor for his day job. He houses. And so I've always been interested in how things are constructed and how things are put together in addition to how they work. Um, so I've, I think I've always kind of had that inside out view of everything. Uh, you know, I've come from a family full of engineers. My, both my grandfathers were literally rocket scientists and, um, yeah, I just, I love knowing how things go together. And I think, um, weirdly that sort of engineering knowledge is kind of what makes sewing easy. Cause that's, what's always hard about sewing is figuring out how the pieces go together. I love learning new stuff with, um, costuming because you're, you're just like, Oh, that's how you get that thing to do that. Or like, that's how that, that clasp works. Um, all of that stuff. But I, yeah, I was, I was always really curious as a kid and, um, I was also very weird. And I think that when you're weird, it just kind of, it gives you the opportunity to, um, be separate from your peers. We'll call it an opportunity. I was very enamored with the idea of being a Renaissance man, so to speak, I think when I was young. And so I wanted to learn how to do everything. Um, 
Yeah. And you kind of do everything now, right? Sort of. (laughs) Yeah. Like you make your own costumes, of course. Like you build your own acts, like all of that kind of stuff. Like you're, you're there, like in the hustle. Um, I'm trying. You're trying. trying. I think you're doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. Oh, thanks. Okay, so the other side, I guess, of your college experience, right, was mass communications and journalism Yeah. uh, in addition to theater. And you found yourself in a career um, at some point that was very heavily in marketing and communications. Can you tell me about how, you know, this experience that you have in marketing and communications, how has that influenced how you do your burlesque hustle? Um, So I started out as a copywriter and copy editor um, right when I got out of college. That was kind of the first thing that I did and ended up doing marketing for most of the last 15 years. Um, And I had a real heavy emphasis um, on web. So I started out as a copywriter, as I said, and then kind of through a series of being the only person who was good in project management and uh, the only person who understood what the developers were talking about kind of ended up sort of falling into managing a lot of web products. My mom is actually a software engineer, so it was easy for me to have those conversations and then translate it back into quote-unquote English for folks. Um, So I spent a lot of years doing web. And for me, what's funny about it is I think because marketing was my, my day job and I spent, you know, I mean, I made... I made VP when I was 32, so I was working pretty hard at it. Um, I That is wild. VP by 32. Wild. I, I'm intermittently proud of that. Uh, <laughs> but for me, because I did so much of that during my day job, I actually was very, very lax about it with my uh, burlesque career. So, you know, I was super late to get onto Facebook. Everything was crazy locked down. I got onto Instagram even later than I got onto Facebook. And I really, I did the minimum amount of effort that I could to to promote stuff. Um, Not because I wasn't excited about it, but just because that was what I was doing all day and had been doing all day for 10 years, probably two years ago, when I was finally starting to get through the process of realizing that maybe I did not want to be doing this job that I was doing full time anymore. Uh, I started to put a little bit more effort into posting regularly and kind of using the advice that I would give to other people on my own stuff. But also that was kind of like by design, right? If I if I recall correctly, yeah. like, you know, you are at this really high level at this, um, you know, at this impactful company. And I'm guessing you, were, you weren't out as a burlesque performer. Did that influence like, how you decided to burlesque an internet as well? It definitely did. When I first started performing, like I said, I thought I was going to perform for like a year. So there was no reason to invest in putting anything out there on the internet. And then after that, by the time I realized I was going to keep doing this, I had already made like at least director. And so I was very protective of keeping that career going. And I knew I worked for a very conservative female boss who wouldn't have fired me by any means. She would have known that was illegal, but she would have taken me off the fast track. And she much was putting effort into growing me as a protege and kind of trying to 
fast track my career. And so for me, I had to balance, you know, this hobby that I loved very dearly, but made no money at, um, but had a lot of my heart and my energy with this job that paid all my fucking bills. (laughs) Right. Because I wanted to make sure that nobody found me. And, you know, the funny thing about that is, honestly, it's pretty hard to find burlesque performers. (laughs) I don't know what I was so worried about. You know, this was pre-FOSTA-SESTA stuff, so it wasn't quite as bad as it is now, but um, I think I could have kept everything pretty damn open and been just fine. Um, I have found that I have not been discovered by anyone I didn't want to be discovered by in the last six months um, since I opened everything up. And it it does crack me up a little bit, but yeah, it was very much by design. I didn't want people to find me because I wanted to make sure that I could continue to progress in my career. Right. That's fair. I think the only time someone's ever found me unintentionally is when someone else that they follow, you know, shared one of my photos or posts. And this is my older sister's best guy friend, very much a guy. He had this moment where he was like, oh, my God, like that girl looks familiar. Oh, my God. Like, I know her. I knew her as, you know, as a baby freshman. (laughs) Like, I can see your mindset. Like, I understand, like, wanting to protect. And and I think a lot of people totally get that. Wanting to protect that private side of your life or, you know, the part of your life that's paying the bills that you kind of need to guard a little bit. So that makes sense. And, okay, something that I think is really cool. In hindsight, I think it's really cool. And the time, probably a little terrifying for both of us. But... The last Burley Con, right, last November, we roomed together, and mm-hmm. I, and it was awesome. And I it loved was awesome. rooming with you and Gidget and Sophie. We had so many snacks. I don't think we ate, like, half of the food mm-hmm. that we bought, but I think that's... N- no, I don't, I didn't finish some of those snacks until, like, a month later, <laughs> once that I brought home. So something that I think was really cool and terrifying at the time was I was leaving my muggle job, my muggle job at the time for a different one. Like, I think you were in the room or maybe it was someone was in the room when I got the phone call, you know, with my new job offer and everything. And I remember talking to you a lot about it over the weekend. And I was really hopeful and kind of like, cool, like, goodbye, bad job, like, hello, new job. And I think you had like a similar, similar ish experience with your career and how it's overlapping with burlesque like at that BurleyCon time. Can you talk a little bit about that? I actually really valued that conversation. I think one of the things that you and I talked about was we talked really transparently about money um, during that time because we were in a similar field and you were talking about like how much this new job was offering you versus the old job. And I really appreciated that you were like, oh yeah, this is how much I make. And I was like, this is how much I make and it's 20% below market value. And that's why I hate my job. Right. And um, also like, I don't know, I'm very transparent. That's something that I find really important. I think women, especially like, you know, professional women, like we don't have that opportunity to talk about money or we're trained not to. I think everyone is trained not to, right? But you should know that, right? Like in this conversation, you found out that me with my like, I don't know what, like two years, three years. Okay, that's like not fair. But, you know, with my like- You also have a PhD, dude. (laughs) Well, okay. But, you know, we found out in this conversation that like your, you know, 10 plus years of working and being at a VP level, like- we made the same-ish amount of money and that was horrifying. And that's like not a thing that should be the case. Yeah. I mean, and it was one of those things too. One of the things that's always hard about like money and work is that you look at salary guides, but it's so hard to know a salary guide, how it applies to your market. Right. Um, And so it was, that was really, that was very useful for me. And I think that um, I just wanted to take a minute to plug your 
um, transparency about how much money you were making. It was it was good for me to talk about that in the open. I think one of the things that's hard when you are somebody who has a very traditional day job that has a sort of traditional salary associated with it, sometimes it can be hard to talk to people who are full-time performers because the money is so, so different. Um, and any kind of frustration that you're having about having a muggle day job can seem I don't know. It almost seems unkind to talk about that. But the reality is, is that, you know, it's just a different set of problems. Yes, you don't have to worry about the money as much, but you have to deal with all these assholes that you fucking hate, you know? Right. And, um, and the time and the, is different, right? It and is. Like, the anxiety is different. Like it's all different. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I mean, I'm not, neither of them are easy, no, you know, and I'm not, right, I don't no. think either of them is easier than the other. It's just, it's so different. And I think sometimes that can be hard to have a conversation with people who are professional artists because the things that they're struggling with are like the opposite of the things that you're struggling with. You're like, oh no, the money's fine. Like, God, if Greg doesn't fucking put the water cooler on properly next time, I'm going to strangle him, which just seems like stupid bullshit but like the the level of like grating irritations that you get in an office is completely different than what you do as a performer who has control of their time um again definitely not easier uh just different and so anyway that's a little sidebar i had been struggling aside from just the work irritations i had really been struggling with um depression like everybody i get back to being low but this was like i spent two years in the garbage dumps and um, just like really unmotivated and all that oh, other no. kind of stuff. And it happened at the same time that that management reorganization happened. So it kind of, it all fed into each other. But having that conversation at BurleyCon was, was really helpful for me too, because I think you were like, no, first of all, it's ridiculous that they pay you that much money. And second of all, it's ridiculous that they reorganize things in that way without giving you any opportunity to kind of succeed. And I just needed that at that moment. Like, I think that you were like on the precipice of starting this new and exciting thing that, you know, even if it didn't turn out perfectly, it was really awesome at the time to be like, these people value me. They're going to pay me this money that I'm worth. And I was like, I'm in this job and I've been there forever. And I think it's time for me to move on. And that conversation was honestly like, it was be two weeks before I quit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was, you know, there was, there were other conversations that happened after that, but that was kind of, that was the seeds of me being like, maybe, maybe I should just, uh, fish it and get out. Um, <laughs> and you did. And you I did. did. I Tell did. me about Thank what God. you're doing now. Okay. So you're, you're not there anymore. I wasn't sure what I was going to do and I'm still not totally sure, but, uh, I was lucky that, you know, when I was, like the last day of my job was about three weeks before my husband and I were putting up a play that I was doing all the costumes for. And we had done these very elaborate costumes for community theater. And so I had a ton of costuming work to do. And it was awesome because it completely distracted me from any feelings of like being sad or missing that sort of day-to-day grind that I was worried I was going to have. I was like, okay, good. I've planned this well for my life. And it turned out I needn't have worried because I did not give a shit about leaving that Right, job. like it was done and it was gone. And- it was done and I was so fucking happy. Um, I just, uh, I just, I have never, I had never considered that, that was something you could just do. You could just, you could just stop. You know, I think we're so trained with all the capitalist ideology that your worth comes from your productivity and all this other kind of stuff, the idea of just stopping. 
Um, and then I got really busy with burlesque stuff, um, which has been an unexpected and very pleasant surprise. Tell me about the burlesque work that you've been doing. Yeah, so, um, you know, some of the stuff in town that I have not really been able to do, um, we have Skull's Rainbow Room here in Nashville, and we have live band burlesque every week. It's the longest running live band burlesque show in Nas- Nashville. I had always wanted to be able to be a part of that show somehow, but with a day job, it was just not feasible for me at all. Regardless of whether or not, you know, Freya would have me in the show, uh, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't work what were essentially school nights um, and then do that. And, you know, Freya was like, oh, I, when I told her I quit my job, she was like, well, I need some alternates for femme seeing at Skulls. So if that's something you're interested in, I was like, yes, definitely interested in that. Um, so I've been able to do that some, so that's, um, uh, that's been really lovely. I've really enjoyed getting to do that because one of the great things about emceeing at Skulls is that that is almost all tourists and it's a live band show. So there's sort of two elements that we don't get in live shows here in Nashville very, ra- very often for burlesque. Like we, we really don't have many live band burlesque shows here and, um, which is kind of funny, uh, when you really kind of think about it, but we don't have a lot of that. And we also, uh, but we're almost always performing for folks who know burlesque, initiated audiences, I guess I would say. There's always somebody there who's never been. Yeah. But when you're when you're performing at Skulls, you're dealing mostly with people who've never seen burlesque, and some of them don't even know what it is. They just kind of showed up. They, they were just, like, we heard the music. They, seemed cool. Yeah. We paid the cover. What are we here for? Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's just so interesting. Like, there are so many things that, you you know – you're just so used to hearing at burlesque shows that, that, you know, it's just like, oh, it's so tired. Like, oh, you know, do we have any virgins here tonight who's never been to a burlesque show? Sometimes that is the most scandalous thing that these people have ever heard on stage. It's just blowing their minds. Right. Someone calling them a virgin in public in, in any sort of context. I know. Yeah. And I do remember one night, um, I was, for some reason, I was subbing in on, on door duty, and um, we had two guys who were probably in their 20s. They paid the cover to get in, and I think one of them had even asked what the show was, and, uh, you know, it, they, they went in maybe half an hour before the show started. Uh, the band played a song, everything was fine, and then the first act happened. There's a group act, and, like, literally during the group acts, like, one person takes off a bra. Like, that's it. Like, it's nothing scandalous. And these guys came screaming out the front door. And they're like, this is the kind of show we thought it was. We got to go. They left? They left. They paid a $20 cover, stayed for one act. <laughs> yeah, $20 each. And I was like, whatever, buddies, get out. It's fine. Already got your dollars. It's fine. I Don't know. <laughs> Whoa. It just, it's just such a different – it's such a different environment. It's funny, you know, when you've been doing burlesque – for eight years. And, and for me, I have only really started to travel this year. It was certainly terrifying. It always is when you're doing something new, but it was really invigorating too, to be able to be like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what this crowd's going to be like, because you never know what you're going to get at Skulls. Um, and I also don't know how I'm going to do with live band burlesque. I've only done it one other time. So it's just been really cool to try that stuff out and kind of get to take traveling gigs. I haven't done that in my burlesque career because I had my very serious office job and I was very chained to my desk and never went out of town. And I always ended up working when I was on vacation. So like, that's just not doable when you're doing burlesque stuff. Like you really have to be in the moment or it does not work. And so um, I never really traveled and didn't apply to festivals in the beginning because I wasn't 
out enough. I didn't have any kind of social media presence. And so I, I felt like it was just too hard to get booked and all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. So, but now yeah. you're doing it, but now you're starting to travel. Like you've, you know, you're driving out with Shan for, with chandeliers, like on out of town gigs or out of town photo shoots and having all these different and new experiences. How has that changed burlesque for you? Man, um, it's been, it's very eye-opening. I think that uh, I knew that traveling for shows was difficult. That was not news to me. But I think I was surprised by what some of the difficulties were. Like I expected like, oh no, you get a bad night's sleep and then it's you know hard to kind of keep, keep yourself going, that kind of stuff. And then like the packing list stuff. But uh, I think I was sort of underprepared for, you know, oh, I'm not getting ready in my own bathroom. So I have to remember to bring all this stuff with me into this other room. I mean, just stupid, stupid stuff like that. But then there were other things that were so great. Like, you know, you're so nervous performing in a new venue and like you, you're trying to figure out where everything is. Um, but to be totally like surprised, like I did, um, Bourbon and Bordeaux in Dallas and at the nines. And that was just amazing. They're so into the show. It's such an intimate venue. And I, it was one of those things, like I just found myself kicking myself that I hadn't spent more time like out in the audience, actually like getting in people's faces and, and enjoying that. Um, so it, it's been really cool. Uh, I just, I think it's, it's, everything is always different than you expect it to be, I think. Um, and I think that's kind of been the takeaway. I think that I expected a lot of this stuff to be, harder than it is and I don't say that to say that's easy it's not and if I was doing more of it I think it would be significantly harder but I was really kind of pleasantly surprised as a sort of born homebody at how much fun all of it was I was I don't know it's been it's been such a blast interesting to hear about your experience and then compare it to mine and be like oh wow there's so many different ways to do burlesque and I think that's exciting totally Viola Vainglory the Shakespeare of Shaken It Thank you so much for chatting with me today on the Pasty Tapes. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Where can people find you on the internet? How can they support and learn from you on your Patreon? Tell me all these things. Yeah. So um, I'm totally most active on Instagram. I'm at viola.banglory, um, V-I-O-L-A, if you're curious about that. And Banglory spelled the way you expect it to be. Um, I'm viola.banglory on Facebook as well. And then just because I have to be a weirdo about it, on Patreon, I am um, Viola Vainglory, all one word. And then if you want to find me on the internet, I am at violavanglory.fun. I will be at .com very shortly. I'm in the process of revamping my website, but I'm all over the internet. I'm where you are. Come see me. Yay. Oh, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Shomai. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Viola. I know that I will see you very, very, very soon. And extra special thanks to you for noticing that I was like totally having like an internal collapse moment happening at the Nashville Burlesque Festival, like probably multiple times that weekend at different parts for different reasons. Uh, and on Thursday, I remember Viola just like telling me to sit down and then holding a fan at my face while I was kiddening. And that was great. That's what I needed. I think I stayed alive because of her. And then again on Saturday, right, like about to have a panic attack while in a completely dark tube 
thing that I decided was a great idea to have as a prop that I travel with everywhere. Viola's there for me. Like, I fucking love her. And I hope you got to know her too through this conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. Special thanks to superfan BFF level supporters Kyle H., The Man with a Hat, and Violet Passion. I also want to give a shout out to our friend level supporters Kits and Sass, Tony Tabasco, Rosalie Bloom, and Fufu Kaboom. Wow, that all rhymed. Oh my god. If you want to support the Pacey Tapes, help me continue these shenanigans on into the future, visit thepaceytapes.com and join the fan club now. I would love to hear from you. I thrive on positive reinforcement. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how much you love this podcast. Or don't. Tell me that you fucking hate it and let me know how I can improve. You can leave a message or send a text to the Pasty Tapes hotline, and that's 1-530-PASTIES. Or you can send an email to thepastytapes at gmail.com. You can follow the Pasty Tapes across the internet at the Pasty Tapes on Instagram and Twitter and other places, I'm sure. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pasty Tapes, and I will talk with you soon. You have been listening to the Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings. You can catch me performing across the Midwest this winter, but you can especially find me at BurleyCon. I will be teaching my workshop, Cooler on the Internet, and I'll even be leading a Burley lab called Social Media in Your Sleep. If you want to learn how to have some internet fun with me, find me at BurleyCon. If you're not going to be there, feel free to send me a love note, and let's talk about other ways that you can learn. Some other cool things coming out. I have a new one-inch enamel pin designed by Blue's Chicken that should be here soon, available for pre-order. If you want to have a fat babe body pinned on ya, if you want to have my fat babe body pinned on ya, check out my Instagram. You can see the illustration and let me know if this is something you want to pre-order. Happy to hand it over to you at BurleyCon or mail you something with a love note. Okay, until next week. Talk to you later.